guys. Welcome to the show. As Project A Plus, your number one movie-based podcast, at least if you're listening in um, a vacuum where no other podcast exists. <laughs> but but what, which countries were we uh, trending in? Um, Oman, I think we were doing well in Oman. I think we were beating. Uh, you must remember this, our rival. <laughs> so uh, if you're listening in Oman, we uh, thank you. All right. Um, so what are we doing on this fantastic uh, podcast this week, you? Uh, well, it's another musical-themed episode because we are in the midst of a musical theme series uh, in which we explore the uh, cinematic output of our favourite musicians, some of them at least. Mm-hmm. This week, we are focusing on one Neil Young. Now, we actually recorded a Neil Young special way back when. Yeah, like two years ago at this point. And uh, I believe it was you who lost your half of the audio. I still have mine somewhere. So we had to scrap the episode. Um, but uh, it felt like now is the perfect opportunity to uh, revive that idea and mm. expand upon it indeed. Yeah, make it jumbo size. Because Neil Young was no one-hit wonder when it comes to cinema. No, he's not like, um, I don't know, none of them were <laughs> one-hit wonders. <laughs> uh, David Byrne? I guess that's true, but he's in American Utopia now, so. He didn't direct it. Yeah, he just but. just put uh, on the stage play, and Spike Lee directed it. <laughs> you can definitely uh, feel Spike Lee's presence by the camera. Uh, Ray Davis of The Kinks, another one-hit wonder. Mm, yeah, the Kinks were a one-hit wonder band, for sure. Anyway, yeah, we're, we're doing Neil Young this week. Mm. A whole bunch of Neil Young films. Should we list them off before we uh, go into our preamble, or what? Yeah, I guess we should. And I think we have some uh, stories to tell, too. We do indeed. But let's, let's quickly list off the movie. So we've got the first movie that uh, Neil Young put his name to, or rather the name of his directorial pseudonym. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't, I don't see Neil Young... Well, I did mean to say a film by Neil Young, so it kind of gives up the game. But. No, no. So he directs He directs under the alias Bernard Shakey. And the first film to receive that honorific title was um, Journey Through the Past. Mm. Which we watched. From 1971 to... 1970-something. Yeah, early 70s. Wow, I'm reading that... Um, I'm reading that... Uh... The IFC Center in uh, 2015 put on a uh, Bernard Shakey film retrospective, which is just all of the movies. That's so great. Ah, yeah. Wish I was there. Yeah, me too. Um, so he followed that up with 1979's Rust Never Sleeps concert movie. And he followed that up with uh, 1980 or 81. I should be looking at this at something on my screen to verify these 82, facts. 82. 82. He followed up with 1982's um, long gestating Human Highway, because I believe he started it in 1978. So mm. um, the production of that did run a while, but yeah, it was finally released uh, after a fashion in 1982. And then where do we go from there? We flash forward uh, to 2003. Slash 2004, 
Uh, and this is the film that, that I watched and you didn't watch. So just to be clear, it's, it's not part of our main features. It's kind of like a detour. But it is mm. an important um, detour. And that is uh, the film Greendale. Detour. Detour. Uh, a film he made to coincide with the release of the album of the same name. Hmm. Before finally finishing our uh, expedition with what? Uh, One of the John and Jonathan Demi films, perhaps? No, no. no for, with uh, 2018's uh, Daryl Hannah vehicle, Paradox. It's not a Daryl Hannah vehicle at all. Yeah. What are you talking about? She's in it. She's in it briefly, fleetingly. It's not like a vehicle that's been created to like show off her, showcase her acting talents. <laughs> what are you going to say? By like other parties. <laughs> Mm, I don't know about that. It's a film that she directed. It's her film. Yeah, and she's also stars in that. No, she features in it at one point, briefly. No, she's, I mean, she stars in it about as much as Neil Young does. <laughs> Lesser than Neil Young. Just a little bit less. But definitely less. Mm, but, she, you know, her presence is behind the camera more than Neil's is. Blech. But I would say it's more of a Neil Young vehicle than a Daryl Hannah vehicle, if you're going to use that terminology. But I would say it's more of a <laughs> Lucas brother or a Nelson Brothers vehicle than a Neil Young vehicle. Yeah, well, there's a hierarchy of vehicles here, so. <laughs> we'll, t- we'll talk about this in depth in a little bit. Uh, all right, so that's what we're going to do on the show. That's what you have in store for you. What a treat! Before we got that, we got some, uh, we got some, some fun, fun, some fun. Uh, you know, we like to slip into some anecdotes here. Don't we also have to revive segments or something? Uh, yeah, and you got well? to talk about a uh, common drink with me, too. I think that's before, right? Yeah, that's part of the rule out segment, I guess. Um, so, well, yeah, what, so what are we supposed to do? It's been a while since we recorded one of these. Um, I think first uh, we, we do an anecdote or two. I think that's the general... Um, All right, let's, let's do the anecdotes. Let's get the anecdotes out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Then we can think about what segment we're supposed to revive and, and such. Uh, who wants to go first? You definitely have an anecdote. I have yeah, but two. My, mine is mine is briefer, and yours is way grosser. So you should finish. <laughs> okay. Well, if we have two, maybe you should do one, and then I should do one, and then you should do the other one. All right. So I'll start with the less gross one. So uh, I may have discussed this a long time ago on the podcast. It would have been in the first quarter of twenty twenty after I secured uh, employment for the first time in a long time since uh, vacating my uh, previous job in at the end of 2016, I think. All right, get on with that. <laughs> uh, I do remember the classic episode in which I first reported uh, that I had secured that job. But I believe I followed it up a few episodes later with the news that uh, the company was being purchased. Remember this? Oh, yeah, I do remember this. And, you know, we had uh, the owner or, or whoever or someone high up come into the, the factory, give us a letter explaining the details of the sale, giving us access to the employee assistance program if we were concerned about our jobs or were suffering some sort of um, uh, psychological issue that we wanted to discuss with uh, an impartial party. So it was like, just as I secured this employment, you may, maybe it's going to be taken away from me. Uh, you know, within within a couple of months of beginning. Mm. I was a bit sad about that. But then, of course, um, a certain pandemic spread across the globe 
and that forestalled any plans of a sale until now. Mm. We got the news that the company was being sold recently. That was confirmed. They'd find they'd found a, a buyer. We got basically the same letter given to us that we received last time. Mm. And uh, one of the uh, stipulations on this letter was that we would be notified about whether we were going to to retain our jobs no later than Friday the 14th of May, I think it was. It was, it was uh, kind of a while ago. A couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah. A couple of weeks ago at the time of recording, I'm sure this will be released like, you know, June 2024 or something. <laughs> so by that, that, that point, it'll be months or maybe even years, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, Anyway, so so all right, so we're like, oh, that's a, that's a bit concerning. Um, so we, we we weren't sure if we were going to keep our jobs. So we and it was just a few days away that it would be this Friday, mm-hmm. and you know we would hear no later than that if we were going to keep our jobs. Basically, um, no one heard anything, no contact whatsoever, one way or another. <coughs> uh-huh. Some of us, understandably. We're like, oh, I guess that's it. I should start looking for work. I mean, not me, yeah. <laughs> but other people were thinking that. Me, what I was thinking was like, well, if I did lose this job, I'm going to take the rest of the year off at least <laughs> because <laughs> I could just about afford it. So I may as well, you know. Mm. So I was partly excited by the prospect, even though I knew deep down, or at least a part of me knew that this this wouldn't be good for me. I, I you know, yeah, you should have a job. I shouldn't get back into that that old uh, routine of stagnation uh, that fueled this podcast uh, a couple of years ago. Or maybe I should. Maybe it's good for the pod. Who knows? Anyway, anyway, we turn up to work on Monday after this Friday passes and there's no word, and uh, everyone's still confused. Uh, our manager's like, "Yeah, I don't really know either, so I'll try and find out today." And then it turned out it was just some sort of legal delay and uh, we all got an offer, so. Oh, well, congrats, I guess. That's the sad end to that story. So I have to go back to work, is what I'm saying. They paying you the same amount? Uh, I haven't seen the new contract yet, but um, they have indicated that it would be basically the same uh, contract as before. So, I presume nothing will change much at this particular juncture. Mm. Oh, now, it doesn't mean that this is just going to continue on indefinitely the same way. Obviously, it's a new company. They'll have new ideas about how it should be run. And there is a possibility that after a brief transition period where they see how the operation is currently running, they completely change everything and some of us do lose our jobs. You know, so, mm. hope springs eternal. <laughs> You could just quit. Could just quit, but I think it's more fun to be made redundant, don't you? Yeah, because you can like apply for a welfare benefits and stuff, right? Yes, that's true. Um, and also, um, it's 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 the passive way out. You don't have to actually say I quit. You know, you just let it happen to you. Anyway, that's my first story. Mm. Your turn. Well, um, if I'm going to be honest, this has been a, a pretty miserable um, month or so for me. I've had lots of uh, personal tragedies, health woes, 
Uh, even went under uh, on the surgical bits for the first time in my entire life. You went what? I <laughs> I got I, I had a I had an operation done for the first time in my life. Ah. But so uh, one bright spot in all of this is that uh, one day when I was uh, walking to a used record store that I like to go to and primarily purchase um, new, new release Jackie Chan movies uh, that somehow end up in uh, the um, used bins for about five dollars, which seems like a fair price to pay for something like, uh, say, uh, <laughs> Police Story 2013 or um, uh, Vanguard, which I bought yesterday. <laughs> um, so I was walking home, and uh, well, who did I walk by but uh, a disgraced Minnesota superstar, uh, Garrison Keillor? <laughs> 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 and uh, I, I, I was, you know, there's an older man and a, and a woman walking beside me. They're walking down the street in the opposite direction, and I, uh, you know, glanced over. You know, I was in front of a church, very auspicious surroundings. It's pretty close to my apartment, which is uh, close to our art museum. And um, it's a pretty broad street. Um, They were having some sort of discussion. I I couldn't quite make out the details because, you know, we walked by each other. But, uh, you know, you do the type of thing you do when you think you see a celebrity. You look at them once and kind of glaze over them, you know. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the second time you look and, um, well, what do you know? It's uh, It was Kirsten Keeler, I think. (laughs) So, yeah. well, that's 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 been the bright spot of my last four weeks. Well, besides yeah, getting, oh god, okay. no god, no you go, no keeping this in, no. Um, yeah, so like he's basically the patron saint of our our podcast. Like he he's what inspired us to get into the game in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just a huge fan of his film uh, Prairie Home Companion. You know, hmm, Altman's finest. Yeah, that really inspired me to like film to begin with. And then, um, you know, <clears throat> after that, uh, you know, I went to film school. I went to New York. I met you. And then um, there you go. Then you started writing uh, comic erotic poetry. Yep, yep. And I harassed my employees with that. <laughs> Well, it's only the two of us working on this show, so... Oh, well, I've been harassing you ever since. <laughs> All right, what's, um, what's, what's your second story? Okay, so my other story also pertains to my uh, place of employment. Um, it, it takes place at an early point in time, before this new business of new ownership and new business. Um, and, uh, it concerns the machine I operate at work called a flow wrap machine Mm. where you put food items on a conveyor belt and it wraps them in plastic basically. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's a bit of a funny old machine and it doesn't, doesn't always work properly. So you often have to like manually like force the items through right near the point where it starts cutting the plastic. So it's a little bit dangerous maybe, but we're used to it. So it's got a couple of conveyor belts, one of them leading into like the plastic wrapping section and one of them leading out the other end for packing, right? Now the conveyor belt leading out the other end is just like a, a very straightforward conveyor belt with a belt that rolls a, that rolls around on some rollers and pushes the, the food items along, right? You can picture it. Mm. So one day I get into work 
And because we've had issues with rodents, specifically because we've located like rat or mouse shit, I think it was mouse shit, on the actual <laughs> like machine conveyor belt, uh. we've, we've been pretty careful about like cleaning the machine before we use it for um, food products. So I'd usually start cleaning the machine, spraying the sanitizer, all that sort of stuff. And there's a series of like pegs on the uh, entry conveyor belt to separate the food items so they can all fit in their own little plastic uh, containers that's separate from one another. Uh-huh. And I, I have to like operate the machine to like rotate the pegs around so I can get the pegs that are on the underside of the machine clean as well. And then someone notices on the other conveyor belt, a, a discoloration starts to form. It's a nice cream belt. Hmm. Suddenly some, uh, some different colors, notably some browns, some blacks, and uh, especially some dark reds. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that wasn't there before, before I started operating the machine. Um, so I press it again, <laughs> and some more, some more <laughs> crap goes around, and I was like, oh, that looks like, that looks like blood. <laughs> and uh, turns out that our little rodent friend was hanging out among the rollers underneath that mechanism that controls the, the conveyor belt. Uh-huh. And when I activated the machine, it uh, got crushed on the roller. <laughs> and the roller is like text, because we were wondering like, is that a mouse or is this a food product? Or is this like, because there's some food products that do have like cranberry sauce and stuff in them. And we were hoping it was that. Because mm-hmm. we were like, if this is a mouse, where's the hair? But what had happened was, the roller is like textured. Mm. So all the fur and stuff matted onto and the body of the, the mouse matted onto that and stuck and clung to it. And then all the blood sort of dribbled off onto the belt as it was rotating around. Mm. And we we're like, what are we going to do? So we like started to clean, to clean what we could see. But then as soon as you would rotate it again, you'd get like a fresh batch of, of blood going around. So we had to uh, not use the machine that night and uh, bag everything manually. And it was tedious. Mm. Good stuff. Yeah, sounds, sounds fun. We should just let the blood sit there and uh, get on the, the stuff. Anyway, the reason it happened, the reason why there was like mouse shit on the machine in the first place all the time, because it didn't used to happen, was that there was like a brownie that got stuck in the mechanism at the back of the machine. So that's why it kept coming back for that brownie just happened to be right near that roller and it wasn't scared when we came into work that day so it just stayed there and, and got crushed freshly. <laughs> um, so now I'll disclose the, the name of the business so that you may <laughs> avoid them <laughs> in the future. <laughs> I did look it up at some point uh, but mm. I'm too lazy to remember it. Well, families make better love. <sighs> Uh, anyway, do we have to revive a segment? Was there like a, there was like a random number order? generator thing for that as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, what's, what's the order of, of things? Because we should do that first because it all plays somewhere. Yeah, so we have four old segments left on the table. Are you ready? Yeah. For them? Armor of Gods, Air Diaries, Felita Story, and our favorite one, Bird Hollywood Bird. Roll the dice. Well, fair mothers make better lovers. Okay. 
Just gotta punch in the numbers in the random number generator real quick. And uh, all right, so I generated number four, which means burn Hollywood burn. Yay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> what is even the structure that we read the box office statistics at the same time, right? Uh, that's what the segment a... became, yes. <laughs> Us just <laughs> reading them at the same time on top of each other for our respective countries. And then um, after that, it's finding a random piece of entertainment news and read that. Exactly. Yep. Okay. All right. Okay. Glad I remembered it. Um, all right. So let's, let's so we segue to our um, Project Day Plus for what? got to report back on on the bullet that entered into your body yeah recently well no it wasn't a bullet it was an empty chamber that's true um i think a special focus on jackie chan's uh role in the film <laughs> as it were yeah so last week i put the gun to my head mm, what came out fortunately i heard a hollow click instead of a uh, resounding gunshot like thump to indicate that a bullet had, in fact, entered my brain. <laughs> the bullet um, in this case being watching Founding of the Republic three times in a row. That's right. So instead, what I did was I watched uh, Jackie Chan's first screen credit, maybe? Nope. Second? Nope. Third? Is, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh screen credit. Okay, he's reportedly his seventh screen credit, Come Drink With Me, the, the King Who film. And uh, I believe it's not even proven that he's actually in this. It might, it might just be a rumor. <laughs> Definitely there is a member of his stunt team in this who his face is very... Apparently Mars is also in it. Yeah, Mars, that's who I mean. But I could not see anyone who like stood out as Jackie Chan-like. Damn. What did you think of Come Drink With Me, the... This is the second time? Yeah, so I watched Come Drink With Me again. <laughs> Which may or may not have Jackie Chan in it. <laughs> Which may or may not have Jackie Chan in it. But it is still an entertaining film. Not mm. not King Who's strongest film, but um, he displays a lot of potential with the film, which later comes to fruition with Dragon Gate Inn and A Touch of Zen. Is it just called Dragon Inn? It's called both. There's different titles. Mm. I'm just thinking of uh, Goodbye Dragon Man, the Simon Mingling film. Uh, which I now have on uh, Blu-ray. Wow, that's fun. I was thinking about buying that, actually. The problem is that Arrow's shipping fees are so much that I just can't have them doing it. Um. Well, fair mothers make better mothers. Anyway, put that gun to your head, buddy. Oh god! If I if I get that uh, founding republic board, I might actually kill myself. <laughs> Let's see. All right. So, remember, I'm trusting you with this. So if you do get it, you have to tell me. Uh, of course, I'm gonna. I, I'm not gonna uh, skip out like this. Oh god! I'm, I don't want to watch founding republic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I do kind of want to watch it. I don't. I do not want to watch it three times in a row. <laughs> do, you think, do you think I can buy that on Blu-ray? Maybe. Oh yeah, I definitely can. Oh, it looks like it's, like, region B. Pull the trigger. All right. Oh, I got number six, which is 
Project Zodiac, a film that I have also already seen. <laughs> Quite recently. <laughs> oh, uh, I remember really enjoying this film last time I saw it, so. <laughs> Alright, thank, thank Christ. Thank Christ. Wow. You well, are really getting down there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, uh, I, I will happily watch Project Zodiac for her in, in time for our next episode. <laughs> so how many shots left? There are four shots left. We got mm. Snake and Eagle Shadow, Miracles, Mr. Nice Guy, and Founded for Republic. <laughs> <laughs> It would have been really funny if, like, the first one had been Factor Boy. We just retired the segment, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, alas. Alas. All right, now, uh, should we get, in, get into the Neil Young hour? Let's do it. Project time, it's project time. 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 So uh, should we just go chronologically? Does that sound good? Yeah. Uh, I think before we begin, we should um, establish uh, our respective perspectives on Mr. Neil Young. Mm. Mm. Beginning with you. Uh. <coughs> what? Oh, man. Well, uh, let's see. My mom is a big Neil Young fan, and I grew up listening to some of his music. I think she had... I remember like her having like one of those greatest hits compilations, which she would play in the car. Probably decade. No, I think it was like Neil Young's greatest hits. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, so you know, I, I grew up listening to like Southern Man and uh, in Heart of Gold, stuff like that. You know, did only, you say, only that. Mommy, is he talking about us? <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. Um. So. Uh, yeah, and then uh, let's see. Then I didn't really think about or care about him until we did our uh, last Yo Young episode. <laughs> no, so you weren't you weren't uh, a fan at that particular no. point. I, I was agnostic, uh, and since then, I would say within the last like three months or so, I've become a pretty big Neil Young fan. Uh, I've listened to, you know, sporadically listened to or not uh, sporadically, but sort of. Um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Erratically, that's it. I've erratically listened to a lot of his classic albums, and uh, you know, uh, I think he's a really great musician, and I understand why people like him. Uh, so I've gone from fan to not a fan uh, it, between our <laughs> last failed. Uh, you mean you've gone from not a now. fan to fan? No, no, I'm, I'm not a fan anymore. Actually, <laughs> look, man, I, I had to work today. <laughs> I, I'm a fan currently, is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Um, so it is a good thing that we get to do this uh, recording again. Yeah. So we can share in our enthusiasm for the subject matter. I mean, maybe not the individual films, but the, the human being who is the locus and genesis of them, perhaps. Perhaps. We shall see. We may do both. What about you, Hugh? What, what is your relationship with Mr. Dio Young? Um, so there's, there's a childhood connection with me as well in that... Mm. Um, 
one of the cassette tapes that uh, our family household had and which was played um, fairly regularly was, I think it was Harvest. Not a, not a good album. But I don't have, I honestly don't have that vivid memories of, of that record uh, as much as other records that I used to listen to as a kid. Um, and then, uh, you know, from, from the beginnings where, you know, your taste is kind of reflective of your parents' taste. You're kind of a fan of pretty good stuff when you're when you're that young, and then when you forge your own identity, um, you know it turns to garbage. Yeah, you, you start you start liking uh, like Seether and uh, Disturbed and stuff like that. Yeah, or in my case, The Offspring, and in your case, I believe. <laughs> um, yeah, to some degree. What was that uh, playing in the sun? Yeah. L.A. song that we were listening to. That's the, that's a bop. <laughs> that was a great song. And we never have sex anymore. They've still got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're as good as they've ever been. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> um, anyway. I guess I'm not wrong necessarily. Anyway, I transitioned out of that phase via my guitar teacher. Mm. Now, when I say I had a guitar teacher, I don't want you to, th- you to think that I learned anything about guitar, uh, which isn't mm. to uh, criticize my guitar teacher so much as criticize my um, my discipline as a student. Mm. So like I didn't practice or anything. So yeah, that was like me when I tried to learn guitar when I was thirteen. But he he recommended Neil Young. I think I bought After the Gold Rush first. Great, great album. And I fell in love with that, and then I was obsessed with Neil Young, and that was kind of the foundation upon which I then built my subsequent collection mm. and um, formed my musical tastes from there. And uh, he's never really gone away. And I think a lot of a lot of those records, especially in his seventies imperial phase, uh, really hold up well. Yeah, I, th- I think all I think pretty much all of his his seventies records, except for Harvest, really. Uh, maybe like Journey Through the Past too. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't really count Journey Through the Past, but yeah, that's I not really can't imagine that would be much. Actually, of a I was at I was at a record store uh, uh, yesterday. They had a, a copy of it. I was like, maybe I should buy this. I used to see copies of it all the time when I was like buying vinyl in the nineties, and everything was really cheap. Um, yeah, journey through the past would always show up. up. Yeah, so so he has a lot of importance to me as an artist, and um, a big influence to me uh, in terms of how I play guitar as well. Hmm. With that uh, in mind, will we still love Neil Young, having uh, watched four or five of his films? Five in my case, four in yours. Well, let's find out, shall we? I'm gonna tell my story. Scraps of celluloid The soundtrack to the movie Will be music you've enjoyed Like that song about the southern man And something about a war So Journey Through the Past, what is Journey Through the Past to you? Well, I'm glad you asked. This is what Journey Through the Past is. It is mostly <laughs> some home movie footage <laughs> featuring Neil, Neil Young in, in Nashville. Uh, he interviews at the at radio DJ. And then there's some concert footage of him with uh, both uh, Buffalo Springfield and uh, uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Um, you see David Crosby. He says some stuff. Uh, there's some random vignettes. <laughs> um, 
He hangs out with, uh, what's her name? Carrie Stodgrass for a bit. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, what did you think of uh, Journey to the Past? <laughs> <laughs> when she watched it, I, I will say, uh, perhaps barred by the fact that we watched it in the shittiest possible quality of any movie. I don't know. It seemed appropriate to me. Like, the, the poor quality mm. of the transfer seemed fitting in terms of what this film is and the fact yeah. that it is, like, kind of clearly cobbled together from scraps. But I appreciate this kind of thing. And I know I didn't when I talked about uh, Diary of a Shinjuku Thief. <laughs> I also thought about Diary of a Shinjuku Thief. <laughs> <laughs> A much better film. <laughs> so it does like it does like betray a bias I have about its subject matter, or at least the person who directed it, which which goes some way towards like um, making me appreciate this film, and, and goes quite a way towards making me appreciate this film because I I have an interest in like just a document of him at a particular time, over and above whether that in and of itself is interesting to someone who doesn't have that context or interest, right? I liked how this was edited. I think he edited it himself, I believe. <laughs> he did. Um, That's what the credit says anyway. I think Neil Young, as a director, is able to come up with some striking images. I do think that he has a good eye, and I think that is borne out across the mm. few films that we've watched and which we'll discuss for this podcast. It's definitely, like, like fits in the, the, the genre of films um, made by rock stars that are barely films. There's a lot of, like, backstage kind of documentary-style stuff interspersed with concert footage and then, like, a half-assed attempt at something more than that in the form of these, like, weird vignettes that you mentioned, these, these actually actual staged sequences. What the, what the hell was going on with, the, like, the clan writers? I, I was like, what, what is happening? <laughs> it is bizarre, but I, I, I mean, that scene is kind of memorable. That's, like, the memorable image that, that is on the cover of the record yeah. and the cover of the, the film <laughs> poster. Yeah, but, I mean, it seems a little, like, uh, queasy to invoke that, you know, in the context of this, like, nothing film. <laughs> I know, I know. But I don't know. I don't know what is behind it, but it's <laughs> The way that it's edited into the movie also seems strange because it's like it comes right after he's like randomly interviewing these like black churchgoers. Yes. I was and I was like, is he trying to like say that these people are idiots because of, you know, the religion of the following was brought to the US by like Clansmen? Like (laughs) I I, I just did not understand. I was like, Yeah, I I did not uh, I was not a not a not a big fan of that. Um nor the film itself, if I'm being honest. <laughs> so I was, I was just like sitting back with a coffee. I watched a lot of these films uh, in the morning. I also watched Journey through the past in the morning. I think I, I think I watched this after work. Like I came home from work, I went to sleep, I woke up, made a coffee, and I just kind of chilled out with Journey through the past and let it wash over me. And and it, under those conditions, it kind of works fine, especially as a Neil Young fan. Um, and I did, I did genuinely like the some of the shots and the way it was edited. So, I do have to give credit to him there. I thought this was a, I thought that I thought this was a, except for the musical performances, I thought this was like a total slog. <laughs> there is a really great musical performance of uh, Southern Man that outdoes the one on the record. Yeah, that's definitely the highlight of the film. Um, but you know, I, I genuinely do not give a fuck about watching like rock stars like. <laughs> 
you know, hang out with their like friends and, and smoke weed. And I, I just find that so you so trite. Or well, like hear David Crosby pontificate about anything. <laughs> yeah, about dumb shit. <laughs> <laughs> I did like the bit where he's like, man, on, on one side you got these these vicious killers who want the destruction of the entire human race. And on the other, you got this nude hippie girl running through a field. It's like, dude, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'll ever get be able to get into the uh, CSNY portion of uh, <laughs> Neil Young's uh, career. Nor, nor am I I'm that big of a fan of what I've heard of uh, Buffalo Springfield either. So, yeah. so yeah, it's interesting. Like the Buffalo Springfield stuff, there are some good singles among among um, the material that they did. Um, and some songs of, of Neil's that I like, but it was the period before Neil Young had really found his voice. Mm. And I don't mean like his voice, like as a songwriter per se, because I think you did write some good songs with Buffalo Springfield, but he was very like tentative as a vocalist back then. And one of his strengths, and it's something that, that is particularly apparent on um, After the Gold Rush, is his voice when he was able to like sing with confidence and like do something like you know, that singing that really high register on After the Gold Rush. Yeah. That he was, like, too kind of self-conscious to be able to do prior to that point. So a lot of the material with Buffalo Springfield and his first solo record, he sings in kind of like this hesitant kind of halting voice, um, which, you know, doesn't, like, ruin some of the material, but... Mm. It's just he, not Neil Young. Come yeah, he, Neil he, Young. he hasn't really he hasn't really found the confidence at that particular point. So. Oh man, we had to talk about the part that I hated most about this this movie, which is the scene where um, someone injects heroin. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my god, that made me feel so uncomfortable. I mean, I really, uh, I really have a problem with watching like needles. Uh, oh yeah, that was I, fucking I hate, full on. It was yeah. horrible. Like, who, was that supposed to be Young himself? I was like, this is awful. I don't think it was Young himself. No. But um, I will say that uh, you know, contrary to his appearance in uh, the other films we're going to talk about, I think I think uh, yeah, you know, he, he kind of has a strange face, but uh, I think he looks pretty good with like long hair, you know. Hmm. And uh, I, I do also appreciate his commitment uh, after you know, basically you know, it, which we'll talk about you know, with Rust Ever Sleeps of of uh, after the seventies, just trying to look as weird as possible, you know. Hmm. <laughs> um. But uh, I, c- I could see why someone would find him attractive in this period. I thought also, I, I mean, this is a little bit later, but I think he looks pretty good with like a beard and mustache, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, tonight's the night era. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I thought this movie was pretty bad, and uh, <laughs> no wonder he suppressed it. <laughs> see, this this genuinely made me like appreciate the fact that we do have these artifacts made by people who. Mm weren't like trained filmmakers and I just kind of yeah. given the opportunity to let loose and come up with this kind of mess. <laughs> like I, I appreciate that quite a lot these days in a way that I may not have like back in the day, I probably would have written this off as indulgent garbage. Like I did with famously with Diary of a Thief. <laughs> Maybe you should rewatch Diary of a Thief. <laughs> I, I appreciate this kind of like mess and there is something more interesting about this than like a, a polished, like, product from Hollywood proper, you know. I, I don't I don't disagree with you, but at the same time I think that um I just I just don't find the actual material of it to be interesting, you know. Like obviously Neil himself is such a compelling person, but I mean honestly, we do have to come down on the fact that 
if you're not a Neil Young fan, you'll hate this. <laughs> and, I, and again, it's just like, I, 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 this is a, a true for like pretty much every musician that I've ever liked. I just don't like, <laughs> I just don't enjoy watching like rock stars just like, you know, hang out and be, get high. Like, it's just not fun, you know? <laughs> just reminds me of every time in my life that that's happened. It's just like, this sucks. <laughs> but I, I like the fact that in this, that is kind of undercut by that really like confrontational shot of someone mm. injecting hard <laughs> drugs, right? Like yeah, I but you have that. to go through most of the film to get to that. Still. <laughs> it does undercut like that, like kind of like, uh, you know, camaraderie yeah. and uh, yeah. masturbatory kind of celebration of the lifestyle that you might get if, if you just saw the other, other scenes in isolation. And also like the political dimension, which is threaded through it, I think undercuts that as well. So. Mm. It is indulgent, but like not merely indulgent, is is what I'll say. <laughs> it's pretty indulgent. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying it's not indulgent. I'm just saying it's not just indulgent. There's more to it. Like remember that. that long, like five, like like what is it like? You know, three minute shot of the of him and Kerry uh, Stodgrass just like smoking weed up in front of the car. <laughs> I think that's the most interesting part of the film in some ways because like it comes like around the halfway mark or maybe a bit later, <laughs> and it's like. Uh, an intermission where the film completely stops just like the car stops on its journey and we're just sitting there watching um, you. Neil Young and, uh, you. and Carrie Snodgrass like just hang out smoke by the side of the road and then resume the journey and it like it has the same function in the film as Fuck what's being you. depicted so Fuck you. I appreciate that I think there's, a, there's interesting stuff here like it's more it's more of interest to someone who is predisposed towards Neil Young but on that basis, I, I do think you get something out of it, right? Well, again, I, as someone who's now predisposed to deal, got, like, like deal young, I've got, got almost nothing out of this. And I don't think it's a complete mess as a film. I mean, I do think it's a complete mess as a film, but not... <laughs> I mean, I think that, uh, you know, another film we'll talk about today is a much more enjoyable mess. <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, all right. I think I think that about wraps us up with Journey Through the Past. Uh, I don't know if we can squeeze any more blood out of it. Uh, unless you have something pressing you want to say. I can't remember anything else. I have no notes, so. <laughs> okay. Um, well, let's do a trivia then, shall we? I th- given that we're doing so much trivia, shouldn't we just, like, confine it all to the one segment? No, no. Let's do it with every film. Fine. <laughs> I really struggled writing these uh, trivia questions for Journey to the Past. <laughs> but uh, I was able to get them, so. Uh, all right. <laughs> David Myers is credited as the cinematographer for Journey to the Past. Can you tell me which music-themed Product Day Plus movie he also is credited on, excepting the future uh, Product Day Plus movie, uh, Human Highway? <laughs> Um, um, Hearts of Fire. Ooh, oh, you're so you're so close. You you like tapped at it, but you couldn't get it. The correct answer is Rolling Thunder Review. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right, you ready? Mm-hmm. 
True to its title, Journey Through the Past provided us a glimpse into Neil Young's musical past, including his stint in Buffalo Springfield. Mm-hmm. But before that band, both Young and fellow Buffalo Springfield member Bruce Palmer were members of a Canadian group called the Minor Birds. <laughs> now, which famous R&B superstar whose career took off in the early 80s was also a member of this group? Oh, um, I have no idea. Stevie Wonder. Nope, it was Rick James. Really? Yeah, isn't that weird? <laughs> what? Yeah. Really? Yeah, and they had a single out with Motown um, called It's what? My Time, which is like wow. this kind of Neil Young like guitar riff with Rick James singing over the top. It's amazing. And it's really good, actually. That's crazy. Huh. It's really funny. But uh, Motown shelved the single and um, I think Rick James went to jail. And then Bruce Palmer and Neil Young got in a van and went to California. What was the uh, band called again? The Minor Birds. Mm, that's, that's crazy. Okay, well, it's not really directly related to the movie, but... <laughs> I just wanted to get that tidbit in. All <laughs> <laughs> right, well, I'll take a drink then. Which television show is the Buffalo Springfield material cold from? <laughs> Ooh, good question. And by, uh, by, ooh, good question, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, give us the gas I'm trying to even think of a title of a show that it could have been. Um, the Ed Sullivan Show, I know it wasn't. The correct answer is Hollywood Palace, which I had never heard of before. Never heard of it. <laughs> Me either. All right. Well, I, I'm going to be surprised if any of us get any of these questions, except for this next one, which I don't know why I wrote it because it's too easy. But anyway. Uh, you've got a chance with this one too. What is the name of the mm. Beach Boys instrumental composition, which is featured on the movie's soundtrack? Oh, I have no idea. I was looking at this earlier. I just, I just remember, I didn't process the name of this song. I just remember that there was a Beach Boys song up there. Mm. Uh, it's from Pet Sounds too, right? It is from Pet Sounds, yeah. Um, uh, I have no idea. So there are two uh, instrumentals on uh, Pet Sounds. So you had a 50-50 chance, one of which is called <laughs> Pet Sounds. I can't, it's, I can't, not that uh, one. it's been such a long time since I've listened to Pet Sounds. I can't even name all the tracks. So is, I, I, course, I honestly don't know. Let's go away for a while. Mm. Well, I guess I'll take a drink. <laughs> it's such a bad question. It's so easy. Okay. Can you tell me which gauge of film the film was primarily shot on? Uh, 16 millimeter. That's correct. Uh, my final question for you, sir. Uh, David Crosby later appeared in which Steven Spielberg film? <laughs> um, wow. Is it like a, a well-known Spielberg film? Uh, yeah, I would say it's a well-known Steven Spielberg film, yeah. Okay. What what era of Spielberg? Is that too much? Hmm. All right, I'll give it to you. 90s. Um, I'm just going to say AI. That was not 90s. I think that was uh, 2000. 2001. Or yeah. 2001, yeah. 
Uh, no, the film in question was, of course, Hook. Oh, never seen it. Plays a pirate. All right. Uh, well, it was a strikeout for me. Moving on. All men are creeps. Russ never sleeps. The king is gone. I took his throne. These little guys with claws. Okay, yeah, uh, now we got Rust Never Sleeps, um, which is basically a uh, recorded version of the, is it just called the Rust Never Sleeps tour? I think so. I mean, the record that documents the tour as a concert as opposed to the sort of hybrid record of Rust Never Sleeps itself is called Live Rust, but I'm presuming the tour was just called the Rust Never Sleeps tour. Mm. Um. Not sure. Yeah, and it's basically a, 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 you know, a recording of the stage production. That's that's basically all it is. <laughs> yeah. And it was nominally directed by Neil Young, but I mean, <laughs> I, I'm sure I, I see we just like in that it, it, it directed in this case, speeds just chose the camera positions and then edited the footage together, and that's it. <laughs> but he's also responsible for how the actual concert unfolds. Like that's true. In terms of in terms of like production design and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and all the stuff with the yeah uh, the jar was. choreography. Um. <laughs> well, so uh, not not really much of a movie, I'll say. But uh, as a record of a, a concert, I thought this was pretty enjoyable. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of of concert films in general. And even at the end of this, I was like, okay, I'm ready for this to be done. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think the versions of the songs that he chooses are pretty great. Um, and the track list is good. And, uh, you know, obviously the state's, it's good that there's a record of the stage show in this particular, like, junction point in his career. Yeah, and I, I, I do, I did really enjoy, like, how, like, you know, strange and, and uh, kind of nonsensical the <laughs> production was, mm. too. <laughs> Like, I really like the part where he just, like, you know, takes a nap between the uh, acoustic and electric sets. <laughs> and then, the, you know, a crazy horse comes out. I thought that was really funny. And when he first appears, because, like, it actually takes a while before we see <laughs> for the first time. There's, like, a very long introductory sequence. Yeah, the stage is set up that there's these, like, huge, um, I guess they're, like, first dress is, like, uh, traveling cases, right? Yeah. There's giant um, speakers and there's giant like suitcases and stuff. Yeah. Well, the suitcases are covering the speakers. Yeah. And then the the thing that really kicks the concert off after they set up this like, you know, uh, humorously large microphone. And we should say that by uh, they set up, I mean I'm talking about the jaw was, which are the roadies on the tour for whatever reason. Yeah. So the the roadies are dressed up. Literally, as the jar was from the recently released uh, Star Wars film from 1977. This was, uh, I feel like George probably had a case. <laughs> yeah. This would have been before Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was given in 81. 
And the jar was uh, like erecting this giant oversized microphone in the manner of the American soldiers hoisting the American flag. Yeah. In the famous uh, Iwo Jima, yeah. Yeah. Um, And they do that, you know, several times throughout the movie just to drive it (laughs) (laughs) Kind of got it the first time. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to talk about, I think. Uh, Well, anyway, we should say that, uh, you know... they they set up this whole whole stage and then you know they whiffed off one of the the trucks uh, from one of the the huge uh, speakers and Neil Young is just waiting on top of it. Yeah, <laughs> and this was, was, was great. And he launches into Sugar Mountain and, and um, I, I I love his like goofy outfit and his hairdo. This is like this is what I mean when you know this is when he convinced him looking weird. You know, <laughs> his hair is so strange. And like you know, I think there is a certain like crow magnet quality to his face that really Definitely, is uh, yeah. accentuated by uh, by this haircut. Yeah. It's like kind of like an overgrown bowl cut, I guess. Yeah, so it it like it it clearly had like some uh, there was there was some intent for there to be some thematic through line in t- kind of in the way it's organized. Not just the fact that it's acoustic and then electric, but like he's kind of like birthed at the start of the film, and he sings yeah. like his songs about innocence, um, Sugar Mountain, and then followed by I Am a Child, um, <laughs> yeah. and then it just becomes because more of a Rock and it becomes yeah. songs of experience, you know. Yeah, I, I enjoyed all that weird stuff. Um, did, did you enjoy the Jamaican accent and Cortez the Killer? Yeah, I've forgotten that, about that, that. To be honest, that's so weird. <laughs> I was like, oh man, this is a pretty good version of the song that I really like. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> but why, it's kind of weird because it, it doesn't feel like at first it feels like merely a joke. But then yeah. he keeps doing it. And then he does it no it longer like feels five like a joke. times. It's kind of, it's bizarre. It is bizarre. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, it wasn't necessarily off when he was just like, what's, what is this? What's happening? Yeah. It is weird. <laughs> um, uh, and I like that crazy horse started doing it too. It's <laughs> like, mm. wait a minute, what's, what's happening? Um, but yeah, I guess we should talk about some of like our, our favorite performances. I guess it's kind of what you have to do here. Um, let's see. I really like the the acoustic version of uh, "Comes a Time" a lot. Um, yeah, me too. That was actually the version that I was familiar with before I owned a copy of "Comes a Time." So I was always kind of a little bit disappointed by like the the fiddle heavy version on the "Comes a Time" record, which I probably don't mind as much now. But I always liked. I always gravitated towards that stripped down acoustic version that he performs on I, this. I think I prefer the yeah, acoustic one too. And I think the performance of Powderfinger is pretty good. That's that's one of my favorites of his songs. Yeah. And uh, I think they really really kill it. What um, I really like as well is there's the electric version of The Loner, which is a song that's very different because uh, it's from his first solo record in which he, he kind of hadn't mm. formulated uh, his philosophy around his sound in terms of like his approach to using the studio and stuff. Right. So that's that like a one, big. No, that one was lost on me. <laughs> that's like an overblown it. kind of studio record mm. where it's like, you know, there's all these overdubs and it's it's very different to the kind of stuff that he would mm-hmm. later be known for. So he's kind of disowned that first record. But there was a song on it called The Loner. Mm. Um, I quite like the original version as well, but there's mm. like a nice, like, crazy horse version that features in this that I appreciated. Mm. 
Um, what about what about some performances you weren't as fond of? I don't think the after the gold rush performance stood out especially well. Yeah. Partly because like the most magical thing about that original recording on after the gold rush, and perhaps the live performances of that era, is that his voice could reach that really high register, right? Where it's like so vulnerable and fragile, but beautiful at the same time. Um, and he sings it in a bit of a lower register here. It's not like a bad performance, but it doesn't feel like his heart was in it particularly. No. That's what I'll say. Um, I, I thought that, I mean, I, I just don't like this song that much, but the needle and the damage done, I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah, that's that, that song's played out. But also, like a hurricane, I was also, I was kind of like tapping my toes during that too. <laughs> that, I don't think it's bad. It's just like, this, this isn't really my favorite song, you know? It's not my favorite of his either. But all the other performances I thought were pretty good. I like the I like the bit in the, when he performs Thrasher where he uh, fluffs the line. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I like that that's in there. Yeah, I like that they kept that. And that, that um, actually leads me to a related point, which I think mm. distinguishes this from some of the other concert films I've seen, mm. something the more rudimentary ones. I liked the fact that it did actually manage to replicate the experience of seeing a show where you do have to sit through that preamble where they're setting stuff up and there is that sense of anticipation, which is very rarely actually captured on film in like concert, Mm. concert films. I know that they might start with seeing the band backstage and stuff, but that's not something that you ever witnessed as an audience member. Yeah, so this, this kind felt of more. Did but you, do, that. you are given like a privileged perspective in a lot of shots, you know, because you see what happens like behind the scenes to some. Oh yeah, days. certainly. But like, it still it still gave me that. It reminded me of actually seeing yeah. a concert it, it live. Feels like the, it feels like it feels like the actual concert. length of a concert, you know. It was yeah, and it was kind of exhausting, in the same way that concerts usually are by the end of them. So. Yeah, and except for you know you don't have the rush of other people to to energize you through the those slow bits. So I mean, that, that's a that's a flaw of all concert films, though. Also, what contributes to that feeling is the fact that I think similarly with Stop Making Sense, you never actually really see the audience, which I think is a smart move. Yeah. Because as soon as you start seeing the audience, you get that like it cue that like oh, I'm watching some concert film, and I'm not a part of this. You know. I really like like the scenes in uh, I mean just to take the only like, concert film I really like, which is uh, you know Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Or like they have this like flash to the audience. So I don't know. I kind of, I might disagree with you a little bit. I think they're done well in that, but I think the sort of generic kind of way that mm. they're often shown yeah, like in just other like you, watch, you see the yeah, crowd like screaming. Takes me out of it more than just focusing on what's going on stage. Mm. And I think that this film does actually do, do a good job of like replicating the experience of seeing this. Um, mm. Not that I would know, but I have seen him in concert, so... <laughs> I can relate to it on that level. Yeah, just just you know, <laughs> what forty years after the, after that. Yeah, <laughs> um, but like it also has like we should say a middle section which is kind of like a intermission, where, yeah. where the where it starts to rain and stuff. Well, well, but apparently that's referencing something that happened in at, at um what do you call Woodstock. it? Woodstock. Uh, yeah, Woodstock. And the the dialogue. I think the like audio, all the audio announcements, which I yeah. I didn't clue that it was Woodstock, but it was clearly like not what was happening yeah. on that performance. Yeah, that's all from Woodstock, apparently. Yeah, so. I heard the same thing. But you do see rain, so I don't know if there was also rain or that was like rain that they concocted. No, I think I think they like sprayed water. I think they I think they sprayed water. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Um, but I, I like the thematic inclusion of that too, you know, mm. 
because uh, it kind of fits with like the themes of Rust Ever Sleeps. Um, yeah, because it begins and it begins with um, on the PA system, it's playing Jimi Hendrix's famous Woodstock rendition of um, the yeah. national anthem. And then a uh, day in the life too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, honestly, I don't really have that much else to say about this. <laughs> it's a pretty good concert films as far as as far as um, concert films go. Yeah, for sure. But once once again, it's going to be a preliminary requirement that you like Neil Young in order yeah. to get much out of this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true with all the movies we watched. <laughs> well, is it? Except, we for, except for Human out. Highway. Except for Human Highway. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Which could be which could be appreciated by anyone. <laughs> <laughs> young and old, dumb and smart. Especially, especially young. <laughs> um. <clears throat> all right. Do you want to start with your uh, Rust Ever Sleeps trivia? Let's do it. Trivia time. Um, where did Young get the title Rust Never Sleeps from? Oh, I, I, I feel like I've read this and it's just out of my mind. I don't know. Uh, it's from Mark Mothersbrough of uh, Devo. Ah, uh, that's right. Actually, not sure how to pronounce his name. Mothersbrough? Bore? Mothersbrough? I think it's... Mothersbrough? I always... Ma- 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 Mark's ma- Mark Mothersbrough. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> that sounds it. good. All right. <laughs> Like mothers, um, yeah. So he remembered the slogan from when he worked in advertising. I'm not sure if he came up with it or just used it mm-hmm. when he was a graphic designer or something. So that's where it comes from. Well, taking my drink. Okay, you ready for my first question? Mm-hmm. Rust Never Sleeps was released as a, a companion to the album of the same name. Does the film contain the entire track list of the album? And if not, which songs are excluded? Uh, so it doesn't include Sail Away. Mm-hmm. It does not include um, Ride My Llama. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, it includes everything else, I believe. Ooh, you are incorrect. It also does not include Pocahontas. So uh, of drink course, up. yeah. Drink up. <sighs> Uh, what did Young call his distinctive stage hands? Uh, no idea. Road eyes. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. Man, I'm, I'm really out of it right now. Okay. <clears throat> Rust Never Sleeps includes material drawn from the entire course of Young's solo career up to this point, excepting two of his albums of original material. Can you tell me which two albums the track list lacks? Good question. All right, I can, I can, I can work this out. It's going to take a little bit of time, but I can work this out. So <laughs> his first solo record, Neil Young, as I said earlier, he does a rendition of The Loner from that record, so that's covered. Mm-hmm. Second solo record is um, Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere, does a version of mm-hmm. Cinnamon Girl, so that's covered. Mm-hmm. Third solo record is After the Gold Rush. He performs After the Gold Rush. And mm-hmm. When You Dance, You Can Really Love. When you uh, dance. Next record is Harvest. When you dance. He performs The Needle and the Damage Done, which we discussed. Mm-hmm. The record after that, um, uh, I think it's Journey Through the Past, which well, is the soundtrack. I didn't, I didn't include that, which because That doesn't count. And then yeah, there's so time, not a real album. time Fades Away. Definitely there's no songs from Time Fades Away here. 
So that's one yeah, of them. That's that's one. Yeah, yeah. Is it two I'm looking for? Two you're looking for. Yeah. Okay, so uh, tonight's the night. Um, he plays tonight's the night after the credits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was the point where I was like, oh no, there's another song. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I was done with it. It's this. a long song too. <laughs> I do love that song, but like I was exhausted by that point. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's 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 that covered. On the beach, I don't think there is anything from On the Beach here. Is that your final answer? But let me just keep going. <laughs> um, American Stars and Bars is where Like a Hurricane is from. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Zuma has Cortez the Killer, which was performed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with On the Beach and Time Fades Away. All right, you are correct. Good uh, deduction. <laughs> I could have worked that out like just by thinking a bit clearly because I know that definitely Time Fades Away, no songs from that are performed um, for quite a while mm. at least after That's that. That's too bad. It's a really good album. It's a great album. One of his best. You know that time fades away. And that's the record where the song Journey Through the Past um, features. It's a great song too. Much better than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, Time Fades Away is a great album. It is. Don't be denied. Okay, anyway. Um, your turn. The song Powderfinger was originally intended for which band? Ooh, Leonard Skinner. Yes, he got it. We, we talked about this before. I know. Uh, all right, you ready for the last question? Mm-hmm. Live Rust is a record of the same tour that Rust Never Sleeps was taken from. Though unlike the film, the uh, material for the album was recorded at a variety of different locales. The track list is mostly the same between the album and the film, with one exception. Can you tell me which song is in the film but excluded from Live Rust? It's a good question and a tricky one. Um, I know the kind of weird choices like The Loner is definitely on Live Rust, because that's a version I really like. And And I'm very familiar with like the Sugar Mountain and Comes a Time and I'm a Child. That's definitely all on there. But I'm trying to think what wouldn't be. Probably a lot of love. I'm going to say a lot of love. Ooh, you are incorrect. The correct answer is Thrasher is not on oh, okay. Live Rust. I wouldn't have guessed yeah. that. All right. Uh, so, Human Highway. Let's do it. So Human Highway is a 1982 dark comedy film. (laughs) Dark. Well, it's about the end of the world. Nuclear apocalypse. Pretty dark. That's true. Don't let them know it's the end of the world. Very musical episode, this this one. Um, And it's uh, set uh, around this uh, little gas station diner 
joint mm. in this sort of like um, generic distortion of um, a middle American town. Mm. And there's a bunch of characters. One of them is uh, played by Neil Young. <laughs> what's, the, what's that character's name? His name's Lionel Switch. Mm. Um, he's, he's, he's got a friend played by Russ Tamblin. Mm. Uh, I forgot his character's name. Me still. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the owner, the new owner of the diner is played by Dean Stockwell. Mm. And the new owner has inherited it from his father, from his late father. Otto. 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 (laughs) So we have this cast of characters. Um, Russ Tamblin wants a job there. Mm. They, they, uh, Lionel and, uh, and Tamblin have crushes on a couple of the waitresses. They want to Mm. take them out. Um, Otto, the boss, is is planning to, like, torch the place down and collect the insurance money. Um, Mm -hmm. But he also receives an offer from uh, some dude. (laughs) Receives an offer uh, from, uh, what's... Frankie Frankie Fontaine. Fontaine. (laughs) Frankie! (laughs) Who's some uh, rocker that Lionel idolizes. And is also played by Neil Young. Was it also played by Neil Young? Was that also Neil Young? Yeah. Yeah, it was. No, I did not recognize him, but that was something that I learned after the fact. Yeah, I did not recognize him either. Um, Anyway, that's all going on. And uh, meanwhile, uh, Devo is fiddling around with nuclear waste. (laughs) There's some, yeah, they're nuclear waste men. (laughs) And uh, and then uh, there's a nuclear apocalypse and everyone dies. Well, yeah, there's a, yeah, yeah. And uh, Lionel, you know, gets the cock in the head and, uh, pretend, and uh, goes into a fantasy where he's Neil Young, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the film. <laughs> so it's credited yeah, to uh, Neil Young as the director uh, under his alias Bernard Shakey, but with mm. Dean Stockwell. And yes. we should say that um, this is not the first time that... Young has done a project that has involved in some capacity Dean Stockwell because mm. his famous um, record after the gold rush was based on an unproduced screenplay that Dean Stockwell co-authored and which has since been lost to history. Yeah. We should track down Dean Stockwell and get him to find a copy. To rewrite it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. um, so that's, that's the directing side of things. The screenplay is credited to Bernard Shakey, um, Dean Stockwell, Russ Tamblin, and two other people, um, Gene Field, Field and James Bashirs. Don't know who those people are. Um, but reportedly there was a lot of improvisation on set. <laughs> you you don't Neil, say. <laughs> Neil Young's approach to character was, was to get the actors to kind of, you know, the fill out a lot of the caps. Well, uh, so, let's, let's talk about this film in the context of you watching it the first time, okay? Yes. And, uh, you know, I think it, it's hard for you to remember too well. My memory is not good. This is this is a, a constant on this show. 
but I have to imagine that I was, you know, a little pissed off to watching another Neil Young film. This annoying guy is in this other movie that I also didn't like. <laughs> and watching this guy I had no affection for, you know, do all these dumb antics, uh, you know. And there's all this, like, racist stuff happening. And, you know, it's 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 it's, a, it's just annoying. You know, now let's flash forward to... <laughs> 2001 when i'm watching this movie and i'm laughing i'm laughing so much it's a great film it's so funny <laughs> this is neil young basically inventing like anti-comedy <laughs> there's one scene that's literally just this character who, who is a dim-witted like uh mechanist right yeah and he, he has he has a hammer and he's hitting these different wrenches because they make slightly different noises. <laughs> and I was laughing so hard. That at scene this. is transcendently good. It's so weird. Like it's so weird. Because <laughs> because Young's also doing this like kind of like like dumb guy like face. You know, like Ooh, he's like hitting the thing. Just, it's like what's what is this? You actually hit the nail on the head when you said anti-comedy because that is really what it feels like. Because there's another sequence where he sees his crush in the diner, right? <laughs> another, another absolutely hysterical scene. And it plays out as this sequence of, like, her kind of flirting with him and his reaction. <laughs> and it goes on for so long, just cutting between her, like, licking her lips or something. Back to, like, Neil Young's, like, gormless <laughs> expression going... <laughs> and making this... <laughs> noise where he like exhales a puff of air in like a goofy dumb way over and over again to the extent where it like goes to that like register that we're familiar with like anti-comedy kind of sketch shows (laughs) and stuff because what we should say that this is very we this is a very influential product obviously it birthed the alternate comedy movement (laughs) Um, but it also birthed the uh the later career and Mm. probably the most well well well-known phase of the career of one David Lynch. <laughs> Though I have to assume that um, the reason that Charlotte Stewart is in this movie is because Young watched Eraserhead. Like, I feel like that's a pretty, like, logical leap to make, you know? Um, so maybe, like, Charlotte Stewart leads to, you know, Lynch casting <laughs> Dean Stockwell and, uh, and Dune, and then that leads to, you know, him and, and Dennis Hoffer being in Blue Velvet, and also Russ Hamlin being in Twin Peaks. <laughs> hmm. But I, I I do think it's like pretty. I'm sure that Young watched um, Racewood because it's like a big big like midnight movie and like cult thing. And you know clearly as someone who's interested in like that sort of culture, I'm sure that I'm sure he watched it. Not that a Racewood is much in common with that, but I think that explains why like Charlotte Stewart is in this, and then maybe why all the cast of this ended up being in, in like Lynch's films. Mm. <laughs> but it does have a very similar kind of. I mean, I guess I guess it's a little less like uh, it's definitely more like uh, uh, you know a comedy than like Blue Velvet is, you know. Well, it feels like Twin Peaks quite a lot, actually. It definitely, I mean, minus like the darker parts of it, you know. There's, there's something in here that's like there's a there's a darkness to the film, but it's not like a um, it's not like a Lynchian darkness, no. Yeah, it's more like it feels more like nihilist in a way, you know. Hmm. <laughs> which which I don't think Lynch's uh, films ever are, you know. No. <laughs> Can we talk about the scene that actually probably had me laughing the most, which is the bizarre uh, musical sequence where <laughs> Ollie's servicing uh, Frankie Fontaine's limo, uh, Lionel gets hit on the head, and then, um, yeah, it becomes like Neil Young, and they do a version of um, Hey, Hey, My, My, <laughs> with Devo. <laughs> and 
<laughs> and there's this absolutely amazing scene where <laughs> he takes a milk bath. <laughs> and there's just this scene where the, the actress playing one of the um, waitresses is just like sucking milk off of his naked body. It's so great. When that scene came up, because I forgot about that, um, but when it came up this time round, yeah, I lost it. I completely lost it. <laughs> It's so fucking funny. And then um, I, I really do genuinely like the like like random music video for um, going back that place in the middle mm. of it. Yeah, it's, it, uh, that whole sequence is great. And the, yeah, the stuff where like the he's got like this um, uh, Native American community burning the cigar store Indians on a pyre. It's kind of great. Yeah, it almost makes up for his appropriation and commercialization of. You know, native imagery. <laughs> but it, it, it is a great image, and I, I think it uh, it's, it's really beautiful in a way, you know? Yeah, it is. It's, just, yeah. it's so, it's so, it's so bizarre funny that it's, it's in, this. in this film. The funniest part is, like, when you think about the fact that, obviously, he's, he's, um, he's involved a lot of people in this community, and not just mm. the, the people burning the, the cigar store Indian yeah. figures, but also, like, a bunch of other people that a part of these kind of sequences that sort of sit outside the rest of the film. But the idea that then he would, that they would be aware of like, Oh, we're, we're going to be in this film. And then when they sit down and watch it, <laughs> the fact that it's this like, like random dream sequence in the middle of this, like <laughs> bizarro, like bad taste comedy. <laughs> I find that very funny. Me too. I also really like the uh, dance sequences at the end of the movie as well. Yeah. Apparently choreographed by Russ Tamblin, I think. Mm, that's funny. I guess that makes sense because he was in uh, West Side Story. I was obsessed with that um, that Devo song, Worried Man, which features like three times in this film yeah, at least. Pr- pretty good. I was always trying to track that down on LimeWire back in the day. <laughs> I did find it eventually. But I was busy looking for weird Al Yankovic songs on LimeWire. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think this movie is really, really funny and... Um, it's definitely the the high point of of Young's cinematic output. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, do you have anything else you want to say? I, I, I highly recommend it. I think even someone who is not interested in Neil Young might enjoy this, just because it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I think. <laughs> but so. maybe maybe not. Um, but there there is sort of like a uh, a cult quality to it that I think it can be appreciated by by anyone who is into this sort of stuff. And I I do think there is. Uh, a merit in the aesthetic of this film. So Young has attributed his influences as being like the Wizard of Oz and kaiju movies, funnily enough. But it's very like <laughs> artificial quality, mm. um, which, which you know, enhances that kind of weird small town kind of soapy vibe yeah. that makes one think of, of David Lynch's later work. Oh, I also, I also uh, laughed whenever they had a close-up of the, the photo of the old Otto. <laughs> Me too. That was so Lynchian, don't you think? Like that felt yeah. like a weird, like comic beat in, um, in like Twin Peaks or something. The way it kept like zooming in. Well, it also reminded me of uh, like the, the portraits of Wara that are in Twin Peaks. Yeah, too. yeah. <laughs> I thought that was, I thought that was really funny. But I, I really enjoyed that deliberately artificial artificial style. Like the set is really great. Yeah, so do I. And like the scenes where he put like a rear projection. Thing, yeah, um, they're biking. <laughs> when they're just riding the bike is kind of great. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And there's some interesting, um, like, 
camera movements as well. Um, I wouldn't necessarily credit Young entirely with doing that because obviously he's not yeah. behind the And camera. he also he co-directed it, you know, there's, there's plenty yeah. of other influences. But whoever's responsible, yeah. there's some quite like elaborate camera movements yeah. through this set that are, are really well done, I think. Yeah, for sure. And also just think, I like that every every performance feels like perfectly calibrated to be in this. Yeah. Like even like Dennis Hopper, who like I feel like in this period is just like, you know, he's just like totally smacked out and like he, oh, he seems like he seems like a fucking nightmare. Imagine like <laughs> yeah. actually working with him and there are stories about what he did behind the scenes. Yeah, maybe we'll get into that in a bit. But uh maybe I thought I thought his performance as as, as the <laughs> chef <laughs> the diner chef cracker was was pretty funny. So. And on, on that point, on the fact that his name's Cracker, there's like a moment where <laughs> one of the regular customers comes in. <laughs> And she's asking for her for her meal, and she's like, "Where's my double special cracker?" <laughs> Lost it. That's good stuff. And obviously, that wasn't necessarily the intent of the of the name, but okay, it's still funny. <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, I like the bit where he's like feeding the raccoons. I thought that was pretty good. And just like, even though it does lead to like the the weird racist stuff with the sheik. Yeah. Um, there is something just so bizarre about the introduction of like the milkman with the gleaming white teeth when he first comes. <laughs> oh, into I, well, that scene is so great. <laughs> it's amazing. Great stuff. Perfect movie. Great, great film. And again, there is like some racist stuff that hasn't aged too well. Um, but you know, that's just something you get to take when you watch films from this era. I think. Yeah. And uh, I think the film works beyond that. All right, um, you ready for a trivia? Let's do it. An infamous behind-the-scenes story involves an accident with a knife and Dennis Hopper building said knife and performing knife tricks and then accidentally slashing a tendon of actress Sally Kirkland. Can you tell me which character Sally Kirkland plays? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know which, which character she doesn't play. <laughs> um, in terms of the waitresses, that is not just all the characters. Um, I can't remember her name. No, I can't do it. The actor, the character's name is Catherine. So drink okay. up. I've got a tough one for you. Are you ready for this? Mm. Mm-hmm. Which actor did Dennis Hopper stab on set? <laughs> Uh, Sally Kirkland. <laughs> He's got it. <laughs> Better drink. All right. Uh, are you ready for an next question? <laughs> yeah. The film was barely released in theaters, but eventually it was dumped on video in 1995. Can you tell me which studio was responsible for its video release? Warner Brothers? Oh, you're right. <laughs> really? Okay, good. Well, I, yeah, I did not think you were going to get that. <laughs> That was a guess. Well, because the film was independently produced by you and Young used his own money to make it. Yeah, it was self-funded, yeah. I love that so much. Um, Okay, you got a question for me? I do. Mm. Um, The song Going Back features in a dream sequence in the version that is currently available. However, originally this sequence was set to a different song. Do you know what song that was? Wow. No, I don't think I do. Um, 
It's a song that was included in. No, it wasn't actually. Never mind. <laughs> mm, that's okay. Um... It's a song from. Uh... The Rust Never Sleeps record. How about that? That's a big clue. <laughs> I mean, is it just Pocahontas? No. No. What is it? It then? is Ride My Llama. No. Oh. Huh. That's funny. Well, I think going backwards is much better. <laughs> I think so too. All right. Are you ready for uh, my last question? Mm hmm. Folk musician David Blue played the milkman Earl Duke. This was to be his final film role. Can you tell me which Bob Dylan filmic project he also appeared in? Ronaldo and Clara. Mm, that's that's correct. Um, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting. I didn't know he was even a musician, so. Yeah, yeah, he was a folk musician. Because his performance is... He, he, so di he died before the movie was released. Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay, last question. Mm -hmm. What is the full name of the waitress Lionel has a crush on? Oh, I have no idea. I, I, Charlotte is the first thing I think. I, I don't remember. Charlotte, yeah. let's just say. Charlotte, good night. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now on to Paradox. <laughs> Purple teepee in the shade. What is Paradox? Um, well, uh, the answer to that question is Paradox is a, a shitty film. <laughs> <that's made up laughs> a bunch of um, sort of like uh, quasi-narrative scenes following uh, the promise of the real who are uh, basically um, uh, Lucas Nelson, the son of Willie Nelson's band, um, who have recently taken to performing as one of uh, Young's regular backing bands uh, as they hang around. And uh, then there's some con concert footage uh, and then the movie ends. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> what did you think of Paradox this time around? <laughs> Again, I was in the right mood for this. I knew what to expect because mm. we'd already seen this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and the right mood was like not quite awake, just waking up, having a cup of coffee and, you know, mm. zoning out a little bit while this film just plays out in front of you. And um, in that context, it worked okay. And maybe I, I enjoyed it more than I did the first time around, actually, in some weird way. Is this a good film? Like, no. Or, or yes. But there, there is something sweet about it that I still appreciate. Uh, I, I will say that uh, on this viewing, I did, I did tap into that sweetness, but mm. uh, I only found it present. It was only really easy for me to get into in certain, maybe just one sequence, which I did find really sweet and touching. Um, 
but that doesn't excuse the rest of it, which I thought was, <laughs> I, there was parts that I, of this that I really enjoyed uh, on, a, on a pretty ironic level. Uh, and then there are parts of this film that I think are absolutely completely insufferable. Yeah, like it's hard to get through like the hangout scenes with the cowboys at this ranch, uh, especially God. like um, I think it's Mika Nelson as he's credited as Particle Kid, but he's got like like this steampunk kind of getup. Oh man, I like that. Um, <laughs> you know, just like Tom Hanks. Uh, <laughs> You know, there's there's one there's one like cool alpha son, right? <laughs> Which is Lucas Nelson, yeah, yeah. And then there's one like you know, t- bad bad son. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah, those scenes are terrible. I hated every one of them. There's like seven of them at least. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's definitely the majority of the movie. Um, I the only the only part of it that I really like was on board with is the absolutely hysterical sequence where, um, uh, you know, Neil Young barely in this movie either, <laughs> you know, he has like maybe like four lines of dialogue or something like that. Yeah. And he sometimes just sits in the background playing guitar while yeah. they, uh, um, have terrible dialogue exchanges in the foreground. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but there is a, a great extended sequence where he and, uh, Willie Nelson rob a bank and steal a bunch of, uh, seeds from the seeds of life. <laughs> and then, uh, we cut from there to a concert where, uh, which was this a real concert? Did, was it like added some like weird, like CGI effect to the crowd or something like that? I was like, I, I, I thought they were just holding on. like lighters or something. Yeah. It, it looked fake to me for some reason. It looked like it was like a green screen effect or something like that. Yeah. Like, maybe sure. I was just. I don't know, but um, he starts tossing out uh, these seeds of life to the crowd, and I, I, I can only assume that this is related to the uh, an album that came out pretty uh, close to the, this film's release, which is the Monsanto Years. Yeah, yeah. Which is um, maybe the nadir of uh, Young's career, uh, not having listened to it, but just, just <laughs> based on the assumption that that um, you know, uh, I, I can't say that uh, I really care that much. I mean. Obviously, the fact that you can um, Monsanto clearly an evil company, but uh, GMOs uh, not that big of a deal. <laughs> I mean, in theory, they can be a really good thing as well. Like that's yeah. why I find um, the thing. The thing that's bad about them is that you know corporations will uh, own the patents of pat- the, patents. The particular, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not what he's protesting no, against. No. I mean. If your if your protest is literally like we should never genetically modify crops. If that's the extent of your argument, then yeah, then uh, go back to uh, you know when you when you when orange carrots worth an arm, like who cares? Yeah, um, and I think I think GMOs could be really a powerful tool. I mean, you know, uh, like the potential to be able to grow like sustainable yeah. crops in in climates where that was previously impossible. Yeah, exactly. it's like it's, that, it's that, that's, the, that's, that could be a potential you know. economic revolution if there was a company yeah. that wasn't exploiting it's social that, which is what's happening so uh, but i mean you know under under capitalism something that's always going to be exploited yeah but it's still like you know it's it's not the gmo's fault again it's, it's capitalism's fault yeah you know, to neil's credit he did endorse uh, bernie sanders in the democratic primary yeah uh, which which is pretty cool fairly rare surprisingly among his cohorts so yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Surprisingly, maybe not so surprisingly. They're, they're all rich, like old, you know, liberals. Like, <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I thought that scene was really funny. 
Uh, I thought the rest of the movie fucking sucked, except for another sequence where uh, <laughs> that, that was really touching, where, uh, you know, Young and uh, uh, director Daryl Hannah share a kiss uh, as she's floating through the air. And I was like, oh, this is pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, the rest of the movie, I just thought was an insufferable bore, but with boring, unfunny comedy sketches, a bunch of shit that I didn't care about. That's basically it. Yeah. So the promise, I agree with you. The promise of the real stuff is pretty insufferable again i didn't mind i i was able to get through it pretty easily i, I wasn't in pain but that, that's like that's like most that's most of the film but th- that is a large chunk of this film that is focusing on these people at this ranch or something and if, if it was all if it was all young i would be all in this movie you know um, but yeah yeah so that stuff is 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 not great um the concert stuff so there is like a sequence in the middle that i actually really like where young is doing a performance of a song called peace trail uh, from an album that he released around this time and i i don't much like a lot of his new material um Mm. but that song i thought was actually that actually stood out this time around i don't remember liking it the first time that much but i enjoyed that performance here and I enjoyed that sequence as well, where they're tying themselves to chairs because the music sends them airborne. So everyone's like suspended on these ropes flying about in the air. I liked how they did the effect. It was kind of like low mm. key, but also an actual VFX shot in some cases. Mm. Um, I, I enjoyed that, that whole sequence quite a lot, actually. Mm. And that, yeah, so there was this kind of a sweetness there. And again, similarly with Journey Through the Past, I appreciate that this this kind of crap got made, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm also glad that it exists, but I did not enjoy watching it at all. Especially like, because, especially for us, like this is a Netflix, this is a Netflix film, remember? We have watched a bunch of like, you know, competently made just pieces of garbage on Netflix that are so anonymous yeah, and- that's that's true. And rubbish that, you know, I forgot I watched half of them. But I'll never forget Paradox. (laughs) (laughs) Remember the Titan? (laughs) So on that basis, five stars. Uh, Two two stars. I didn't mind, like, to to give credit to at least Lucas Nelson, I didn't mind his performance of um, that Willie Nelson song that they do around the campfire. Uh, I I hated it. I hate him. Uh, anyway, uh, ready for trivia? Yeah. Who is responsible for the film's widely praised action choreography? What? Who is responsible for the <laughs> film's widely praised action um, choreography? Uh, Neil Young. Uh, no, it was Samuel Hung. What? Anyway, your turn. Wait, that's not, that can't be right. Your turn. No, you're doing come drink with me trivia. No, no, your turn. No, no, no. Come on, man. Stop, stop, uh, stop fucking around. Just read your question and we'll proceed. No, 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 no. We're doing paradox trivia. I am doing paradox trivia. No. Oh, very funny. You're doing that, um, <laughs> what's it? <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, uh, SPL, uh, sequel paradox from from 2017 oh damn <laughs> i figured no, it turn. out bitch no 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 that does not count <laughs> your turn no no you had to do paradox 2018 trivia well i made a mistake i can't redo it now it's too late your turn <laughs> no no you have to redo it your turn uh 
No, I don't want to do it anymore. Go, your turn. Can you tell me which state the film was shot in? Uh, Michigan. Nope. Not many mi ma mountains in Michigan. It's shot in Colorado. Okay. That's a random guess. All right, my next question. Let's see. Which Thai action superstar <laughs> plays a local <laughs> Bangkok detective? Uh, I'm just going to go with Tony Jaw. Yes, he's got it. <laughs> See? Ah, uh, fuck you. I looked at the paradox of Wikipedia page. <laughs> uh, alright. <clears throat> like Neil Young, who famously has an obsession with model trades, Daryl Hannah has a couple of very dirty interests. Can you tell me which dirty passion has led to something of a second career for her? Dirty passion? Nerdy passion. Oh, nerdy. <laughs> Just like uh, model trains, dude. So, okay, so a similar hobby... A similar nerdy, nerdy hobby to model trains, but not that. Yep. Not that. And so it's a second career, career for, for her. her. Mm hmm Wow. Um, appearing in Sense8? No, the correct answer is uh, board games, and she has uh, designed several board games. Really? Yep. <laughs> We've got to play some Daryl Hannah board games <laughs> in the pod. Mm. All right. Let's hear what else question you asshole <laughs> <laughs> alright my last question is Paradox is the third in a trilogy of action films can you name either of the previous two installments uh, is it is it SPL2 a time for consequences ah oh, you got it yeah, that's right. <laughs> fuck you <laughs> I painted it to Hawkeye Cinema <laughs> Yeah, but I made my questions, like, able to be answered, even in, you know, if you hadn't seen the film, you know. That was nice. <laughs> That's not true. I asked, like, three softball questions, like action choreography, Samuel Hung, famously. Yeah, but I would never would have got that if I thought you were making, you know, talking about Paradox. <laughs> Which Thai action <laughs> superstar is only one? <laughs> That's true. But the last one I never would have got unless I, <laughs> whatever, fuck you. Uh, all right, are you ready for my last question? Yeah. Despite being seemingly talentless, Lucas Nelson has actually racked up something of a second career <laughs> contributing to film soundtracks. Can you tell me which Academy Award-winning film from 2018 he was involved heavily with, including a period of the film itself? 2018 Academy Award-winning film? Mm-hmm. Uh... uh was that before A Star Is Born? But I'm going to say A Star Is Born. Ooh, you are correct. Because <laughs> I remember he was in it, yeah. Yeah, you, you got it, that's right. And I think he did all the dumb, like, music that Bradway Keeper plays. I think some of it. What, what's the one song uh, in that besides, besides Shallow? Ma maybe It's Time to Let the Old Ways Go. That was maybe written by Jason Isbell. Yeah, it's a great song. All right, that's all my trivia. That's a, one of the better songs, I think, of songs that he performed. <laughs> but Lucas Nelson didn't write it, so. No, that's what I mean, yeah. All right, now it's time for a Burn Hollywood Burn. Burn. Hollywood Burn. That's right, Mama. Burn. Hollywood burn. All right. So, Hugh, what was the number one grossing film in uh, Australia this week? 
So Hunter Hunt was the number one grossing film in America this week on the count of three. Box office hooray, box office hooray, box office hooray, box office Three, two, one. Those Spiral from the Book of Saw. Um, and that grossed uh, a cool $807,811. Uh, $808,750,034. Cool. Moving on. Okay. Let's open up the old uh, entertainment websites real quick. <laughs> oh, sister, sister. Hmm. I was into Desire recently. That's a good album. Yeah, Desire's alright. <laughs> Not a fan? No, I like a lot of Desire. I don't listen to it mm. that much, but... One more it's pretty good cup record. of coffee for... I love that song. Yeah, it's a great song. And Sarah. And Isis. I quite like Oh Sister too. Yeah, that's good. I just don't. I I don't really like Joey. What about uh, Romance in Durango? That's good. Obvi- obviously, Hurricane's great. And Black the Black Diamond Bay, whatever the song is called, that's pretty good. What about Sarah? I love Sarah. Hurricane's great. Uh, let's find some news. Have you got a news item already? Mm, no. <laughs> I was looking for fucking anything. I need to go on a different website than IndieWire. Alright, here's some entertainment news. Wait, does that have to be uh, Hollywood news? It has to be film related. Yeah. All right, here we go. I got one. Okay. <clears throat> Henry Cavill is circling a Highlander reboot for Lionsgate. Yeah, I was thinking about doing that too. <laughs> well, I beat you to it but instead I have this this bit of news Kevin Feige mm. admits Marvel shouldn't have whitewashed Tilda Swinton's Doctor Strange character <laughs> wow uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. there's something that anyone cares about now moving on alright uh, I guess we're on to bonus features right mm-hmm. bonus features bonus I, uh, I've re- really gotten into the work of John Wakare uh, recently and I uh, decided to throw on this adaptation of um, his best-known book, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. 
So that was uh, actually pretty bad. Uh, kind of uh, unfortunately, considering it's uh, it's got a pretty uh, high reputation. Uh, but I thought it uh, really um, did not uh, serve the book that well. And, you know, there, there are plenty of adaptations that I like that, you know, alter events um, or, you know, drastically uh, come to a different feeling or mood or theme. Oh, I've the got to talk about Greendale, style. dude. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I'll just do this part of your bonus features then. All right. Um. And uh, I really feel like this uh, was just sort of like a Cliff Notes version of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and I didn't really enjoy it. And uh, it really, uh, <laughs> you know, like at the end of the movie, if if I hadn't like, read the book, I'd be like, why? who cares? It was Colin Firth. Like, you know, you're not introducing these characters at all. It's just like <laughs> the people who are the bull of the British intelligence. It's just like, you know, they're the actors. OK, that's all you, that's all you get to know. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, it really feels like half formed. Uh, I don't even think it's like particularly competent and it's like uh spy craft scenes. So uh would not recommend. <clears throat> then I watched uh, two Zadoichi films. I watched Zadoichi on the road, which is uh pretty generic. And then I watched Zad- Zadoichi and the chest of gold, which is extremely entertaining um, and features uh, a scene where Zadoichi gets dragged around behind a horse, which is great. <laughs> um, and uh, another one other film I watched was, uh, 1962's Pitfall, which is a film directed by Hiroshi Teshigahara, uh, his first collaboration with the uh, acclaimed novelist, uh, what's his name, uh, Kobo Abe. Um, and obviously they would gone on to collaborate on uh, The Face of Another and uh, Woman in the Dunes. And I, I was thinking about watching those, so I was like, why don't I just watch all three or all four of their uh, collaborations? So I started with the first one. Uh, this is a very strange uh, sort of ghost noir about a um itinerant miner who um (laughs) i almost don't want to go into it but uh basically he uh starts working this job at a mine and then um gets the summons to appear in an abandoned um uh like mining town that's that's nearby and then uh, something really horrible happens to them, and then there's a supernatural twist. But I thought this movie was absolutely wonderful. I thought it was enchanting and strange, and um, uh, very uh, cogent about labor relations. Um, and it has a great sense of style and place. And uh, I really, really enjoyed it a lot. It was highly recommended. It made me very excited to watch uh, Teshi Gahara's other films. And I, I know that you've liked and watched several of those films. I, th- I would. Uh, recommend you checking this out as well yeah i've been meaning to watch that i forgot about it actually because that was something Uh, i was going to seek out um but yeah highly recommend woman of the dunes in particular it's on the criteria channel and i thought it was uh a A plus if i I could see myself watching it again and and considering a masterpiece it was just really really splitted film um and uh it's just got this great like weird mood and uh, it was funny watching it uh so close after uh uh, see Sanjuro um, because uh, what's the actor's name? Kudi um, uh, Tanaka, who plays one of the um, like young samurai that you know, like one of the upstanding characters, as cast as this like absolutely like evil person in this movie, and I was I enjoyed the sort of uh, dichotomy of using his uh, screen persona like that. 
Um, but it's got uh, several great performances, and it's just a it's just a really wonderful film. And uh, again, I, I just highly recommend uh, you watch it. That the whispers watch it. Everyone watches it. So good stuff. And that's all I watched. So I'll start with a film I watched really recently. Um, even though I watched films prior to that that I haven't yet discussed. And the reason I'm going to start with this film is that I was supposed to talk about it before we got to the bonus feature segment, and that is, of course, the film Greendale. It wasn't part of our main features because only I watched it. It was special homework that was assigned to me for this episode. Um, But it's a sort of film that Neil Young released with the release of his record uh, from 2003, Greendale. And um, he shot it himself on Super 8. So he's the director and the principal photographer of the film. Mm. Um, It's really not so much of a film per se as like an accompaniment to the record in that the entirety of the record plays over the film and there's Mm. no like actual dialogue. There's occasional moments where you can hear like ambient sounds of the ocean and stuff. Weird. Um, But there's no spoken dialogue in the film. Everyone just mimes along to the songs. So it feels like a compliment to the album as opposed to uh, a film in its own right. Although you get the entirety of the album with it, so it's not like you need the album or you need to know the album first because you'll experience it this way just with the images going alongside of it. But it feels more like that Beyonce record where there's like a video clip for every song and that Mm. kind of... um, that kind of thing. But in the case of this particular record, it is like a concert record that does tell a story. So it does lend itself to that kind of treatment. And mm. um, I think he shoots it pretty well. Like it, it, there's a limitation in terms of what this is, just on the basis that it's a bunch of actors shot on Super 8 miming along to a record. Um, mm. That's kind of an inbuilt limitation. But uh, the way it was shot, I enjoyed. I liked, I liked the look of the Super 8 photography. Um, Neil Young didn't edit it himself, and I think the editor does go some way towards making this, this work because I think it's quite well put together from whatever Neil Young ended up shooting. Mm. Um, and uh, I really liked the Greendale record. I know not, a lot of, not all Neil Young fans like that record. I have not um, listened to it. But I'm a, I'm a big fan of it, and it is, a, it is one of the more successful concept records in that um, it keeps the story, like, pretty simple. Like, the story is not amazing or anything, but, like, mm. there's, like, only a couple of main incidents. It establishes a handful of characters, and there's a lot of room for, like, Neil Young to meander around it. But he does tell the story like fairly clearly. Like it's it's something you can pick up from the record pretty easily, whereas most concept mm. records just kind of sink under their the weight of their own ambitions. And because it's Neil Young, it's like a weird concept record. And uh-huh. um, I really just dig the sound of that record a whole lot because it's 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 a record he made with Crazy Horse, but without um, the rhythm guitarist Frank San Pedro, who yeah. for whatever reason wasn't uh, part of the recording so oh that's interesting it's just neil young covering all the guitar duties and the mm. the upshot of that is not to put down frank san pedro because he's great on the crazy horse 
or the more Crazy Horse yeah. Focus records. Um, but like it creates a, it creates this really kind of like dirty minimal sound that I really dig. Mm. Um, and because because there's so much room in between some of the guitar lines and the rest of the band because there's no like rhythm guitar fill, filling in the in between spaces. Mm. It's funkier in a weird way than um, a lot of the other Neil Young Crazy Horse backed records. Uh, Even though they're probably like one of the least funky bands <laughs> who've ever existed, yeah. Yeah. Um, it does make like the, there is like that kind of association with funk because there's more space to hear mm. the just like the bass guitar and the drums, and just it, and it, it does make you appreciate that plodding drag that the drummer has um, yeah. that I kind of love that really suits Neil Young's philosophy and approach to uh, music 70. and playing guitar. 78 minutes holy shit because that's how long that's basically how long the record is uh no i was, I was re reacting to the rea record length <laughs> oh, okay well the film yeah the film is just the record so it's the, it's just slightly longer it's, that's too fucking long <laughs> um and and the songs are like really long and he's just like telling the same story and they're like they're really melodically simple and people criticize them for mm -hmm. being too simple but i i really love it and um, Neil Young's guitar has a particular, like, harsh, weird sound. Sometimes it sounds like a horn. It's just really distorted and, and great. <sighs> and um, so, like, it's easy for me to just watch a version of this record that just has some, you know, Super 8 footage over the top of it and some actors miming along. Gotcha. It's kind of fun. I but, bet I would uh, find it inseparable, even if I like the album. I mean, it's not a bad way to just listen to the record, like, honestly. So if you like the record, it doesn't but need to I'm not really... It's hard for me to sit down and just, like, listen to records, so... Yeah, I take your point. But it's easier with some images, I think. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, what else you got? The only other things I watched uh, were... Let's have a look. Did I talk about the Blue Angel last time? I can't remember. Uh, I want to say you did, but maybe not. Why don't you just talk about it? Who cares? Well, I watched The Blue Angel. It's all right. Uh, and I also watched uh, a film that um, maybe I caught on TV as a kid, but I don't really have any memory of it. I have a memory mm -hmm. of other Marx Brothers films, but not specifically this one. But I'd never seen Which Duck one? Soup before. Obviously, that's heralded That's the only uh, Marx Brothers film I have seen. It's heralded as a classic uh, directed by Leah McCary. Extremely funny. Um, and I was like somewhat skeptical that maybe I wouldn't like Joel with it that well because they feel like a comedy institution in a, in a kind of boring Turner Classic, mu Turner Classic movies kind of way. They're pretty funny. <laughs> but like, yeah, it is pretty funny. And I really appreciate, I mean, this, sounds, this is like the thing that everyone says about the Marx Brothers, but how like committed it is to full-on anarchy in the sense that there's no like uh mm. you know these days most comedies have to like suffer through some like pathetic romantic subplot or something or some sort of like serious element to the plot to hang everything yeah. else off and this is just happy to be completely anarchic the entire time and quite dark in spots as well in terms of the jokes because mm. it's about this fictional com country where he just talks about executing citizens for minor infractions as part of a music number. And then, mm -hmm. um, yeah, 
I, re- I thought it worked really well and it's really short, so nothing much to complain about. Very funny. Uh, that's pretty much it, I think. Well, I think that's it for the episode.